0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, February 14th, 2021. And today, we're going to talk about more eyeballs. The eyeballs are shifting. They're shifting from from one platform to another platform, from linear to digital. And we will try to make sense of all of these numbers that no one can make sense of, and we will just obfuscate them and then make the problem go away. But anyway, we will talk about an interview that Nick Khan had with Forbes. New Japan made a deal to put its content in the U.S., U.K., and Canada with Roku. We haven't talked about that yet. WWE employees have had their raises and promotions frozen in time. And does the fact that WWE is a uh, publicly traded company that has a lot of guaranteed revenue, does that affect WWE's creative output? And if we have time, I will talk about the outlook of the independent wrestling world. But first. All right. So I've I've been uh, driven nuts again by the analysis of the viewership data. Frequent listeners of this program may know that I often start out this section of the program by talking about wrestling viewership the latest numbers in viewership data that we've learned in the week that just passed. And I'm wondering if, again, the microanalysis that others and even I do on a week-to-week basis is really helpful and insightful, or if it's more misleading than helpful and insightful. And maybe a solution to that is to just talk about Monthly averages more, maybe something like that, and to focus more on yes, the ranking of the program on its given night, which Showbiz Daily makes very clear in its daily posted rankings, but also talk about the uh, comparison that we can make of the trends of the the five programs that we have data about, comparing those trends to the trends of cable overall, in particular non-news cable because that is a a more stable and normal metric to look at. So here's an attempt at that. First, to just talk about things in a qualitative way. What is the state of SmackDown, Raw, Dynamite, NXT, and Impact right now? What are the state of those programs? What are the state of those trends? To understand that, I have lined up the viewership of those four programs, monthly averages, Put, the, put all that data into monthly averages for each program and comparing the given month to the year, to the same month of the year prior. So looking at February of this year to February of last year, January of this year to January of last year, and so on. Naturally, a lot of those numbers are gonna be negative comparisons by percent. That's what we expect. But what I want to measure that year-over-year change against is the year-over-year change of non-news cable. So in February, we're in the middle of the month of February, so we've got probably two out of four data points for the given programs. Nonetheless, in February so far, with the data that we have, non-news cable is down 25% in total audience. We'll talk, we'll talk about the I know the key demo is the only thing that matters, but we'll talk about the key demo in a moment. But in total audience, non-news cable, by my measurement, by the data that is available, if you are friends at showbuzzdaily.com, non-news cable is down twenty-five percent. I'm gonna say that again because that's important to remember. And to talk about nomics in audio can be weird sometimes. Non-news cable is down 25% in February from the February of last year, at this moment anyway. So I think that negative 25% is a good benchmark. If you're doing worse than that, well, maybe your program isn't doing well. If you're doing better than that, well, maybe your program is doing well. So how do the five programs compare to that negative 25% year-over-year change? Well, they're all doing at least a little bit better than that. Uh, NXT comes the closest at a negative 23%. Raw comes the next closest at a negative 21%. And and uh, I'm reticent to, to talk about the numbers and just start listing off. Yes, Dynamite is negative 10%. Uh, SmackDown, negative 19%. And impact doing the best at uh, at negative eleven percent. I would categorize this qualitatively, which is probably the best way to talk about it in audio. In in that impact seems to be trending the best. Um, No, that's not true. Impact and AEW are doing about the same, trending pretty pretty well relative to the year prior. Um, But everybody's doing better than non news cable overall. But what about the key demo? Um, In the key demo, the key demo for non news cable is down twenty nine percent. And uh, NXT is doing well below that, negative 43%. So NXT appears to to be suffering quite a bit in the key demo of 18 to 49. But everybody else is doing at least the same or better. In fact, Impact is, in a positive comparison, up 15% from the prior year. Granted, I'm doing that. I'm making that calculation based on the demo rating number that we get, which when we're talking about... uh, in the range between a hundred thousand two hundred thousand viewers that's a very small range to be uh to be looking at and, and converting uh a one hundredth decimal See this is ridiculous to talk in audio but but trust me that impact seems to be doing well uh in terms of trending uh dynamite doing pretty well as well uh Smackdown doing okay raw. Doing barely doing okay, and NXT not doing that well. Of course, when we're talking about absolute viewers, SmackDown and Raw are in their own stratosphere, uh, doing nearly 2 million viewers every week. In fact, SmackDown was down substantially this past Friday. I don't know why. Um, And then Dynamite and NXT are in a stratosphere below that, where Dynamite leads NXT every week since late October and leads in the key demo. Uh, every week for more than a year running. And then in a stratosphere very close to the earth is Impact Wrestling. And oh my God, there's been news viewership, yes. News viewership has uh, had an effect on, on pro wrestling viewership, especially on Wednesdays, on days such as the day after the presidential election in November, on days such as January 6th, on the day that the Capitol was attacked, when there was a lot of news viewership um, and it's not altogether clear to me that news viewership has been as affecting of pro wrestling viewership in at least this week as some have said. Um, so I think there's that that point to consider. So when you look at TV overall, and I think that is the way to look at this, is, is to take a metric like the one I found here for let's take all the non news cable. Let's take the five. What I've actually done is take the top 50 programs that are not on. CNN, Fox News, or MSNBC, the top 50 programs for every single day and measure the trends of that group of data, that group of programs uh, against wrestling viewership. And, and the, the, the gift, though, of having all these wrestling programs now rather than just Raw and SmackDown um, and, or, or an Impact that's doing well below it. Um, the gift of having NXT and, and Dynamite in the conversation is that you can compare the trends of these programs to one another. And if you can do that over a large space of time, you can, it doesn't really, you can, you can, the, the point that people like to raise that, but all TV is down. Well, you can compare the trends of these programs to one another. And because you can compare them relatively, uh, you can get an idea of what the what the trend, and what the trajectory and the momentum or lack thereof is of any of these programs. So anyway, we will revisit those points probably uh, in, in the moments to come here. When we talk about how Nick Kahn, following the earnings call on Thursday, February 4th, uh, this week, this past week that just passed, had an interview with Forbes, with Alfred Kanoa of Forbes, where he talked about viewership. And uh, I understand this Interview is scheduled before the Thursday earnings call, but he seems to be addressing uh the the much the much i don't know commented on uh eyeballs comments that he made uh, on the earnings call so we will go through some of the quotes that he gives to Alfred Kanowa of Forbes here where he talks about viewership where Nick Khan, who by the way is the w w e president and chief revenue officer uh known for making favorable media rights deals for WWE in the past. Uh, He says uh, to Forbes, quote, in all my time in LA since SmackDown started in October 2019 through when I moved to Connecticut. He recently moved from LA to Connecticut to to become the uh, chief revenue officer and president for WWE. Uh, But anyway, he says, I watched every episode of SmackDown live on the app. So my viewership, your viewership are not counted in the ratings. It's not simply, hey, there is a departure. People watch, are watching on YouTube, Facebook, etc. People are watching the direct-to-consumer product. He's talking about the app, which only Fox knows how many folks are watching that. Fox seems quite pleased to us with overall viewership, and that's the, that's the nuance in what I was attempting to say during the earnings call. So Nikon makes that point, but I would still point out that you can compare the trends of RAW to the trends of Dynamite, even of SmackDown, which SmackDown has been doing better than Raw in my reading of the data. You can compare uh, at least the ratings of Raw and the trends of Raw over the last, let's say, 12 months and see how the viewership of Raw in particular, you could even argue NXT has suffered in this way as well. From the pandemic, from the middle of March, Raw ratings declined quite a bit and they continued to decline until the summer, until the Thunderdome happened, until Roman Reigns came back. That really helped out SmackDown. And you can see that AEW Dynamite did not suffer in the same way. In addition to that, if we're talking about popularity, and if we're talking about to what extent does viewership tell us something about the popularity of the brand, we can look at the viewership of Raw compared to the viewership of non-news cable overall, and see how in 2019 and 2020, Raw declined worse than non-news cable in 2019 and in 2020. But if we're talking about other ways to read the popularity trends of the WB brand, we can look at trends. It's hard because now we've lived through this year of 2020 where a lot of the economic habits of consumers was greatly in- interrupted. But if, even if we look before 2020, we know that paid attendance, both average and total, both North American and international, had been in multi-year declines since 2017. We could look at merchandise sales and see that those were in decline since about 2017. We can look at product licensing revenues and see that that was in decline. Since about 2017, we can look at streaming subscriptions for the W network and see that that was on the decline throughout 2019. Uh, They did climb back up in 2020, I would note in a year where streaming was embraced on a wider level by consumers generally. Streaming subscriptions for the W network increased from the year prior, but still have not uh, reached or exceeded the level of 2018. And we see that Google web search for WWE has been on the decline since 2016. Meanwhile, Google web search for other sports leagues has not suffered similarly. That's both US-based Google web searches and worldwide-based Google web searches. And in particular, if we talk about wrestling viewership again, the viewership of Raw and SmackDown again, we see that people the age of 18 to 34 especially seem to have tuned out of w programs um the key demo for example 18 to 49 makes up about half or maybe a little bit more than half let's uh let's check the pdf before i say something too certainly here and by the pdf i mean the uh, the wrestlenomics pro wrestling industry report for the year of 2020 which you can get uh, on payhip for just $6, a 63-page document. I did not plan this plug, but here it is. A 63-page document uh, telling you nearly everything you would want to know about the professional wrestling industry, the key metrics, and uh, things of that nature. You can get that on payhip for $6 or, or become a patron at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics for just $5 a month, and you will get that report as part of your monthly support. In addition to the notes that I often uh, make as, as a result of doing this podcast, in addition to access to the Wrestling Viewership Spreadsheet 2.0 with tens of thousands of data points and tabs upon tabs of analysis, the spreadsheet that I use to keep track of Wrestling Viewership. Again, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, and that's $5 a month. You get all that and the 2020 report anyway. The point that I'm building to is that WWE appears to have a young viewer problem that uh, is not as much of a problem for AEW. Why do I think that? Because about 50%, just about 50% exactly, of the AEW linear, not, not digital, not Facebook, not YouTube, not social, not internet, not online, the linear audience for AEW Dynamite, 50% of it is in the key demo of 18 to 49. 50% of it is outside of it, right? For Raw, um, 39% is in that key demo. For SmackDown, 36% of it is in the key demo. For NXT, 35% of it is in, in the key demo. In fact, for Impact, it's even lower. Uh, 20, what is this? I'm doing the math here. 27%, only 27% is in the key demo. And again, for Dynamite, it's 50%. Granted, Dynamite is, uh, let's not forget, Dynamite is doing about, what, half, less than half of the total audience of Raw or SmackDown. Just to make sure things are still in perspective. But anyway, the the, the point is, WWE seems to have a young viewer problem that is not as pronounced, at least in, for, uh, in the case of AEW. So Nikon uh, goes on in this Forbes interview with Alfred Kanawa, where he says... Quote, no matter when people start watching, they're always going to obviously get older, so you always have to figure out a way to get young people in. So, what we're in the middle of, the Bad Bunny thing, that's obviously tailored toward a young audience. We're in the process now of developing a number of different animated properties, some with the desired demographic of two to six years old, so the thought is to get kids young. We're also reevaluating our entire gaming strategy. So that's interesting, and and he's talking about the the animated series here was two to six. That's it's a it's a really young demographic. It's the probably the age that I was when I first started to uh, engage with World Wrestling Federation products, whether that was action figures or or video games. Um, and Bad Bunny is uh, did very well for them with the uh, the e commerce uh, stuff that they put out related to that. So. But has that resulted in a sudden increase in, in 18 to 34 viewers, for example? Apparently not, but, but, but maybe, maybe those eyeballs have increased on digital, but who knows. In um, other comments in this interview with Nick Khan, uh, he also says, quote, so I'm not convinced that there are a group of 15-year-olds watching linear television who just don't happen to be watching us. They're finding our content elsewhere, and we have to get to them before they're even 15 to make sure we have a chance to win over new fans so when the other fans start to phase out and get older we always have a new population coming in. End quote. Yeah, so I I, I think uh, all this makes sense in a vacuum Uh, in the particular real-life situation of WWE though um, this is a a problem with the creative and a problem with uh, I think the over-reliance to... uh, Act on the temptation that is presented by bringing back older talent and probably a lack of belief within Vince McMahon uh, in many younger talents, with many exceptions, right? We'll talk about Drew McIntyre in a moment, but um, I think there's a lack of willingness to accept and a lack of understanding of how to present and how to market and how to develop younger talent once they get to the main roster, which is largely, if not completely, the responsibility and a result of the influence of the CEO, Chairman of the Board, Class B shareholder, uh, controlling Class B shareholder, Vince McMahon. Nonetheless, uh, Executive Vice President of WWE, Paul Levesque, had com- oh, he was asked about uh, the ratings and how he defines success for NXT, and uh, he echoed many of the comments that Nikon has made. So here's, here's Paula from the media conference call earlier this week.
1: Um, I wanted to ask you about ratings uh, and the way you kind of qualify success at this point, because Nick Khan on the recent earnings call talked about how his vision is that there's still eyeballs in the company, but the eyeballs have shifted to different platforms and we're in the middle of a lot of shifts that will affect NXT in the next couple of months in the next year. Uh, Peacock obviously. uh, And, the uh, NBC Sports Network shutting down and hockey possibly going to Wednesday nights on the USA Network. Um, you know when you look at the overnights versus the plus threes, the plus sevens, you know what do you what do you quantify as rating success at this point, especially when you see drops at certain points from week to week? Uh, NXT's been on the USA network for about a year and a half now. Like how do you look at it and how do you measure the success of the ratings? Uh, especially now with, as things have kind of changed and we're, we're at the precipice of more changes for the company in terms of its relationship with NBCU?
2: Yeah, look, I think um, Nick said it best in that you're talking about eyeballs and consumption. So when you, and, and any of our brands, Raw, SmackDown, you know, NXT is no different, Um you're looking about how are people consuming the product the the world is changing um you know in in some way you would say to yourself well then again not talking about our, our industry at all but you say well television consumption is down across the board are people just watching less content no they're watching more content it's people are on their phones 24 7. um people are watching content on so many different platforms and streaming devices and, um, apps and everything in between that to not consider those as platforms that are taking your eyeballs. I think Nick said it in a, in a clarification the other day in an interview that he did of like, even for him, uh, watching SmackDown, he watched it on an app for very, for quite a few months. You know, those don't count in television ratings. They count, they count clearly that's a fan watching the show um, if you want to look at it in that manner but it doesn't count as a television rating you have to look at them across the board to just say that in today's world all that matters is one of those platforms any given one is like just naive to all the other platforms it really is um, you know, you, you you have to take into consideration everything. You have to take into consideration where people are, when they're watching it, how they're watching it. People want to watch on their times. Appointment television is is not the same conversation it was 15 years ago. Um, you know, so so we we take that into consideration just like everything else. I'm very happy with where we are, but always looking for to be a lot better. It's that you never content, never you know, happy with where it is. You want it to grow. You want it to be more, you want to get more eyeballs. Uh, the peacock thing is another example of that the opportunity for us to have more eyeballs across the board from so many people in so many different ways is incredible. And that's, that's all part of this engagement and driving people to watch the product when they want to not when not and where and when you want them to.
0: So again, there's Triple H, Paul Vec, taking a question from Mike Johnson of PW Insider about ratings. Um, yeah, I, I don't think anything he says there um, explains away the the trends that we're seeing. Let's, let's just talk about NXT. Again, uh, down 43% year-over-year year so far in February. And I'm looking at, again, these uh, monthly year-over-year year comparisons because now we're getting to the point where NXT and AEW have been around for more than a year and we're Getting away from those months where maybe they did exceptionally high viewership out of curiosity and you know in the hype of the debuts, similar for SmackDown, we're over a year now into their run into SmackDown's run on Fox and leveling away from the big months of say October 2020 or uh, October 2019 to do that comparison with. So another thing that I would look at, look at to measure success for NXT or any of these other programs is the rank. Of the program, on its night, NXT in Q4 its median rank was 51, um, and that's been it's been slipping down lower in uh, in its median rank for each quarter. So let's talk about Q1 2020, 35 a median rank of 35. Q2 it falls, median rank of 46. Q3 it goes up to a median rank of 28, Q4 back down uh, to his lowest median rank for a quarter up to that point of 51. Right now it's a median rank, and Q1 is 65. So I don't know. If if, if I'm NXT, uh, I, I'm probably not happy with, for one thing, I'm not beating AEW. That seems to be getting more decisively out of reach. And I'm not sure. I don't know enough, me, I don't know enough to know how that's going to affect NXT's media rights value going forward mainly because I just don't know what the media rights value right now of NXT is. Uh, NXT's deal uh, appears to be up in the fall. So that deal probably being renegotiated right now and I would expect NXT to stay where it is. But does it get a raise? Does it get a, a big increase? One of the reasons why it was justified publicly, why NXT was moved off to of the W Network and onto linear television, the USA Network, was because WWE said it wanted to not compete with AEW. No, it didn't say that. But it wanted to uh, grow the brand value and the media rights value of NXT. Um, is that happening two years into this? I don't know. And I don't know if we'll get an answer. But we'll see. Um... But there's a three-way tension whenever we're talking about viewership here, which makes things uh, difficult to understand, terrible to try to discuss on Twitter. And uh, there's three things. There's what are we trying to understand when we look at viewership? I think in part, we are trying to understand the popularity of the program or of the brand. We are trying to understand... Uh, the relation of the popularity to the creative output, or is such and such star getting over and contributing to upward or downward uh, trends in that popularity? And separate from that, quite separate from that, counterintuitively, what does the viewership that we're looking at mean for the media rights value of the program? And, uh, I think the popularity is going down, Uh, I think the creative output is bad, and I think the media rights value is going up. I don't know if that's the case in NXT, but that's the case for Raw and SmackDown. Uh, Raw is is ranking quite highly now that it's not uh, opposed by the NFL with Monday Night Football, even when it was opposed by the NFL with Monday Night Football, it was still finishing in the top five just about every week. Um, So... I do buy the argument. I do buy the, uh, the, the PR statement from WWE that Fox is happy with SmackDown. I do buy the notion that USA Network is pretty happy with Raw. I, I don't know if USA Network is that happy with NXT, but it's still giving them 52 weeks a year of two hours of live content that's more DVR proof that finishes relatively highly doesn't always make the top 50 but it's doing all right um it's not being beating tnt on the same night, but it's doing all right it's doing better than something else would probably in that slot and it's doing it at a relatively low cost and i think raw and smackdown continue even as as much as they cost usa network and fox to run them you know 265 million dollars a year for raw on average over the five-year deal 205 million dollars over the five-year deal on average for SmackDown. Still, those programs are providing two hours or three hours of weekly, first-run, live content the whole year round for a relatively inexpensive cost. Um, and not, not only are they doing that, but, but their, their viewership is highly viewed, despite uh, that viewership often declining worse than television viewership ratings television Intelli- viewership trends overall. So yes, your brand in this in this world of professional wrestling and this world of media can decline in popularity. Decline in popularity and decline in popularity because of the bad creative, while still growing in value. Because you still have Uh, enough of an audience I think WWE has damaged its brand with consumers while enhancing its brand with business partners but you can damage your brand with consumers to an extent to the extent that WWE has and still remain popular enough that uh, you happen to have this content which is live sports, sports like content that is multiplying in value over time And you are maintaining enough of an audience. Uh, It may be the more non-discerning portion of the audience, but you're maintaining enough of an audience to maintain uh, enormous media rights values that will carry you well on into the future, despite the fact that you have a, a CEO and head of creative who's increasingly out of touch and increasingly putting out more bad content than good. And the reason why... This discussion is so hard to have on low information, high outrage platforms like Twitter is that it, it may appear that you're defending the bad content or letting WWE off the hook for producing uh, more bad content than good. Uh, and uh, it's easy for w executives and anybody who's defending w to obfuscate the data and obfuscate the trends of what's happening. It's pretty soon you talk start talking about linear and digital eyeballs and the the viewership and the behavior shifting over from this platform to that platform. You can't just talk about one thing, you've got to talk about the other thing and this is happening across the board and we all have personal experiences that uh, may tell us that this makes sense, this is intuitive, that yes, people are, are you know, your kids are never going to watch linear TV, your kids never watch linear TV now, and everybody's, you know, watching Netflix and looking at their phones 24-7, and everyone has some personal experience with that. And before you know it, you've, you've uh, been distracted by, by uh, what's really happening, which is, um, again, Raw has diminished in viewership worse than cable overall has in 2019 and 2020. And there's other evidence that supports the notion that W has declined in popularity over time in the last three to four years. And you can find that by looking at paid attendance, merchandise sales, licensing revenues, streaming subscriptions, and Google web search. But it takes a hell of a lot of time and research and work to unpack that. And before you know it. The water is too muddy. To make any sense of this anyway. But not for you. You, you listen to WrestleNomics. And, and you get it. And you understand. But anyway. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Is on Roku. Right now it is on Roku. Uh, two weeks ago. This was uh, news that came out. The same week as the WD earnings call. So we have not talked about it yet. But New Japan is on the Roku channel. The press release makes it clear that New Japan content will be available on the Roku channel in the U.S., the United Kingdom, and Canada. Uh, New Japan will have a one-hour weekly series that premiered, already premiered, on February 11th, airing every Thursday at 5 p.m. Is that Eastern time? Is that Pacific time? I don't know. Uh, the press release... Didn't say, but there will be the first ten episodes are going to cover Wrestle Kingdom fourteen, which is from the year of twenty twenty. So not this year's Wrestle Kingdom, but twenty twenties Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, and I have looked at, at the Roku channel, and I have they are all there to watch. These are, there's um, a number, I guess, ten of them, uh, forty eight or so minute episodes that are uh, you know showing matches from Wrestle, uh, Wrestle Kingdom fourteen. Uh, they're available right now. Uh, The Roku channel will host a block of library content from 2020 with potential for introduction of more historical content in the future. According to the press release, Roku channel reached 62 million people in the U.S. in Q4 2020. What does reached mean? I couldn't tell you. Um, The Observer, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, also had some details in addition to what the press release said. Um, Access did not subscribe to Nielsen until just after New Japan was off the network, uh, so there was no Nielsen data that could be used to sell a deal for New Japan. So you couldn't take the the credible Nielsen data and, and show it to various media partners and say, "Here, this is what what we can deliver." I think there was some other uh, research and data service that uh, Access might have been using before the Anthem acquisition but the industry does not trust uh, information that's not from Nielsen as much as it trusts information that is from Nielsen. So that was a a problem in the way of making a a really great deal. Um, According to the Observer, there had been talks with ESPN and Vice, among others, but the lack of viewership numbers from Nielsen for the show on access didn't lead to a deal there. There was interest, according to the Observer, from the CBS Sports Network, but only an ad revenue split was offered. Uh, that seems to imply, the Observer, uh, seems to imply then that uh, this Roku deal involves guaranteed rights fees. No no word, though, on the value. I would expect it to be, you know, not that much money for New Japan, but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it in a moment. But anyway, uh, the New Japan deal with Roku, according to the Observer, is not exclusive, so... If the show is a success and Roku does, does provide access to viewership data, the data can be used then to get a second deal with different content. Um, which is confusing to me because I don't know that you know, Roku is obviously not a linear channel, so it's not as if Roku is going to provide uh, Nielsen data the way that a television network would. Um, so what do I think of New Japan getting a deal with Roku? I think it's better than, than not having one. It's better than not having really any um, media distribution in the US, UK, and Canada, which is what it had previously and throughout 2020 uh, since it lost its deal with Access. Now, Access is a, is a television network, uh, obviously, currently airing uh, Impact Wrestling. It's in about half of the cable homes. So that means it's, it's probably in about a third of the US homes. So access wasn't this great television, television network, but at least it was in a substantial number of U.S homes. Um, I think this uh, is not nearly as good as being on access, um, because it doesn't allow people to easily discover it. Um, I'm not going to be looking through my uh, well, I don't do this, but people do this. They, they look through their, their the, the channel guide on their TV. And you can, you know, sort of page through it and scroll through it and scroll through it. And then you see wrestling. What's this? New Japan Pro Wrestling? And you, I think people discovered New Japan uh, on Access that way. Uh, that's not going to happen on Roku. I think you, this is still a situation. I know there's a linear uh, stream of this program on Thursdays. But I highly doubt this is going to lead to significant discovery of New Japan. Um, Again, this is better than not having it, though. Um, I think New Japan understands that there's revenue opportunities in selling media rights in the U.S. and other Western markets. I think they don't understand how to make it happen. Um, and I think New Japan doesn't understand the difference between U.S. and Japanese media strategies and that there are uh, cultural differences in how revenue is generated in the U.S. versus Japan. And also that there's a difference in the relationships that uh, have to be developed with broadcasters. And I think New Japan is uh, unwilling to spend money on, say, a U.S. talent agency like Creative Artist Agency or Activist Artist Management. Uh, these are the two agencies that helped WWE and AEW, respectively, uh, complete their lucrative media rights deals. Uh, I think New Japan is totally unwilling to spend uh, the required amount of money that it it would take to make a better deal happen. Uh, I understand New Japan hired a Japanese ad agency to explore deals in the U.S. market, and the only offer that they came up with was a deal with Twitch. Um, I think New Japan continues to believe that a live event business is viable in the U.S. in the way that it is in Japan, where you know, New Japan Pro Wrestling, among these uh, the three top global companies, New Japan Pro Wrestling is the only one that is still primarily a live event business, whereas WWE and AEW are overwhelmingly becoming media businesses. Uh, New Japan still makes the majority of its revenue from ticket sales and uh, other event revenues. Um, I think New Japan thinks that they can uh, do a number of shows or develop uh, a, a bigger live event business in the United States and I think they are overestimating the, t- the ticket demand that they're going to be able to, uh, to capture. They'll still be able to do big shows, maybe, on an annual basis or uh, quarterly basis in certain uh, geographies after COVID, and they'll still be able to draw in uh, traveling fans. Uh, I think selling out Madison Square Garden is still possible, but doing these smaller-scale shows, uh, perhaps with only the, the New Japan Strong crew and uh, and a sprinkling of, uh, you know, Japanese mainstays uh, is not going to draw more than a few hundred people. So this is what New Japan has for now. They have Roku, and I don't see things getting a lot better in the foreseeable future, if ever, in terms of New Japan getting a strong media distribution deal in the U.S. And it's also complicated by the fact that, you know, you're, you're in Japan and there's they do have English commentary now, and after the pandemic, you know they'll be able to get Kevin Kelly and, and people over there to do live commentary more often. Um, but there's still the 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 time difference is a problem in terms of getting the live value out of it, right? In in the East Coast, when New Japan has its events, it's the it's the crack of dawn, four a.m., two a.m., something like that. So that that diminishes the opportunity to do a live broadcast that uh, generates a lot of. Uh, live viewership, so there's that complication. But what comes first is that I think New Japan is not prepared to and not not prepared to invest the money that would be needed to find a really great deal that could help grow its popularity in the U.S. and globally, and is particularly in uh, English speaking markets. So, you know, New Japan has a great product. It's got. Uh, it's the one company in recent years in, in in pro wrestling that has grown its popularity substantially, I think largely through delivering a great product. Yet it doesn't have a strong media strategy, which is sort of the opposite problem that I think WWE has. Um, yeah. In other news, WWE employees had their raises and promotions frozen. This was originally reported by PW Insider, um this news comes on wednesday at least some employees were told of the, the decision on wednesday uh, i understand people uh, this is the corporate side this is not related to wrestlers or talent presumably who are under specific contracts um but uh, i think employees are very unhappy especially the people who have been working on the road and had to work through a number of covid outbreaks Uh, Many are disappointed to learn that during the busiest time of the year, the rumble to WrestleMania season, after having to pick up uh, additional work during furloughs where other employees were sent home and furloughed, the employees who remained behind picked up the work of those absent and furloughed employees, and now they've learned that they are not getting the raises or promotions that maybe they were expecting. Um, And employees are still unclear on whether... Uh, There will be cuts related to the Peacock deal where, obviously, Peacock, as we talked about before, is acquiring the rights to WWE network content in the U.S. Is that going to mean that there's going to be employee position cuts uh, because uh, certain work is being absorbed by Peacock? That is unclear, and employees still don't know. Um, WWE, by the way, still as profitable as ever. uh, Net income for 2020 was a new record for annual net income adjusted for inflation throughout the history of the company. But, uh, what could be motivating this? I have no idea. I guess just that, uh, W probably, you know, in Q4, it was clear that expenses were higher than many analysts, including myself expected. Uh, the Thunderdome is quite expensive, uh, profitability in Q4 while Q4 was profitable. And again, 2020 overall was the most profitable year ever. Uh, Q4's profitability came in lower than expected. Um, The stock price fell substantially as a result. Not a a huge uh, catastrophic fall, Uh, but the the stock price has been uh, ticking down and had some some bad days following the report. Uh, Currently, uh, as of Friday, trading at $46, uh, which is down quite a bit from the the news of the Peacock deal, where the the stock was up at ten dollars from where it is now, up to as much as fifty seven dollars. So there was this big peak, this big bubble, uh, just following the Peacock deal announcement, and the the stock has gone right back down to where it was uh, before the Peacock deal. So anyway, I think you know Q four was disappointing in terms of profitability. Uh, w has given guidance for twenty twenty one, the profitability for twenty twenty one is in a range that is right in between where profitability was and was reported for 2020. So basically, W is projecting that it's going to have a 2021 that is just as no more, but no less profitable than 2020, which is not what I would have expected. And I think that's not what most analysts would have expected. uh, Given the escalating nature of media rights fees, you would think that would uh, lead to greater profitability over time. But The Thunderdome is quite expensive, and WWE is going to be paying for the Thunderdome on a recurring basis for the foreseeable future until uh, events can go back on tour. So it looks like maybe WWE is looking to cut some costs, in this case, in the form of uh, freezing raises and promotions during its most profitable years ever. So it just looks like a case of putting shareholders' interests before employees' interests and who's the largest shareholder in wb uh vince owns uh one-third of all wb shares but to be fair it's not like he's going to sell anytime soon although he does have a complicated deal with morgan stanley that i don't totally understand and maybe maybe uh raising the stock price would benefit uh, that that agreement that he's made to uh sell his shares over time to some of his shares uh, portion of his shares over time to Morgan Stanley. Vince, by the way, before anybody freaks out, is the the controlling shareholder because he has Class B shares, which give him 10, 10 times the voting power of any common shareholder. So he maintains about 80% of the voting power. By the way, I wanted to touch on some other things that Nikon said in the interview with Forbes, um, just briefly. Uh, he says, quote, I think the Drew McIntyre thing is working as a potential next breakthrough star. Khan says certainly he has the look, he has the dedication, and he has the right attitude. And I think he's uh, being put into the right onto the right platform. Um, just interesting to note. I just want to note that uh, it's it's apparent that Nick Khan is watching the current programming, which I never could confidently say when listening to George Barrios or or Michelle Wilson for that matter. Uh, not that we heard a lot from. Michelle Wilson as much as we did Barrios but uh, yeah it, it does it does it is um I don't know how much it matters but it, it's notable and one other thing from the Forbes interview is NBC universal interested in acquiring WWE. It it, it it makes increasing sense to me that NBC Universal would acquire WWE or maybe that acquisition would be on the table in 2022 2023, when they start to renegotiate the current deal for raw uh, you, you've bought the rights to the network content, you own the rights to the raw content, why not just own the entire company outright? Um, on that question, Nick Khan says, quote, we haven't discussed it once at all. By the way, we're thrilled with being on network TV at Fox. I think I sort of pushed on the emphasis during the earnings call on broadcast television and how important it is so we love that. We love what we're doing with NBC. But no, there has been no dialogue internally or externally on anything like that. So I know that that's within the realm of the answer that you would expect to a question like that. Uh, I believe that's probably the case, that there's been no discussion about it. That doesn't mean it won't be discussed in the future. In other thought, uh, there's an interesting discussion that I listened to this week uh, between Todd Martin and Wade Keller of the PW Torch on The Fix this week, which is, I think, a, a, a really intelligent discussion every week of wrestling and uh, the creative output and the business. Um is the question of um, how do factors like guaranteed media revenue and WWE's publicly traded stock, how do those factors, these corporate factors, if you will, uh, how do they affect w 's creative output? I think this is something that is in the atmosphere of wrestling fan discussion, that it's a publicly traded company now, and there's this guaranteed revenue now. They don't have to do this. or they, yeah, they, They're going to do that, or they're not going to take as many risks or chances. You know, sort of the notion that uh, because w is not uh, motivated as much or is not affected as much in terms of its total revenue makeup, it's not affected as much by consumer... Uh, purchases, consumer behavior, uh, that WB may not be as motivated, or I guess Vince in particular, as head of creative, may not be as motivated to take serious chances. Or I think ultimately, what we're getting at is doing something that would make the fan in question uh, feel that the product is better, or and or is the product being, in, in a sense, developed for? for business partners and for investors more so than it is for fans. So let's try to, there's a lot there, right? But let's try to unpack some of that. Um, so occasionally I, I talk with analysts and investors uh, who cover WB stock and uh, <clears throat> some are, are definitely making an effort to understand the creative. I think some are even watching the, the product at least from time to time and um, And in in this discussion with Wade and Todd, they were not affirming this, but uh, investors and stock people are definitely not uh, watching Raw or SmackDown and forming like price target opinions or forming uh, serious uh, opinions or having their opinions swayed about uh, the stock value. Um, Wall Street people are mainly looking at SEC filings and listening to executives' comments on the call, uh, looking at. Other things they say publicly, probably for example in that interview with Nikon and Forbes, and uh, they're computing all that information and other facts and beliefs that they have about the wider industry that affects WB, especially the media rights market. Um, And that's how they're—that's the vast majority of how those uh, opinions about the stock and what they believe the price target is. That's the vast majority of what is leading to those decisions. Um, I think NBC Universal and Fox, who are probably WWE's two business par- biggest business partners um NBC Universal and, and Fox they probably give WWE feedback on creative things that they see and WWE might take it or leave it i've i've heard the story that uh, US, USA uh, NBC Universal was behind the uh, the idea of doing the 24/7 title so i know that there's there's feedback and there's discussions that uh, TV networks give to wrestling companies both in the case of WWE and AEW um, they certainly have limits, at least Fox does, in terms of vulgarity when Fox, uh, if I recall right, edited the West Coast feed on the uh, that terrible urine-throwing angle between Seamus and Jeff Hardy uh, a few months back. Um, but I guess the thing I, I want to uh, make clear is that investors, analysts, TV executives are unlikely to be phased by much of any of the creative direction that fans care so deeply about. Um, fans... As I've talked about before, they want economic justice. Uh, they want there to be some sort of consequence or even punishment for uh, what they at times perceive to be the bad product coming from companies including WWE. Um, it would be nice if investors, analysts, and TV executives tuned in at least occasionally and recognized that Raw and, and SmackDown are generally not good shows. To some extent, maybe they do. Uh, and And then use whatever... Uh, influence they have to guide Vince and WWE to have a better creative direction that helps maximize popularity and revenues. So it's not just about aesthetic taste. This is about this is I, this is about popularity and revenues, streaming subscriptions, consumption, ticket sales, merchandise sales. Um, but there's little distinction being made on the part of people like that. Um, again, they're focusing on the wider trends, which is really what affects this company. Uh, And to the extent that there is, to the extent that they are uh, following the creative direction of the product. Uh, And I don't know, even if a significant group of people uh, in the the media industry and the investment world uh, expressed uh, their lack of satisfaction with the creative product to, to WE or to Vince, I highly doubt Uh, even if there was a tactful or effective way to communicate that to Vince, that Vince has the capacity at this point to correct course and make the adjustments and changes. It's it's probably not just adjustments, but vast vast changes that would need to be made to correct course that would maximize revenues and consumption. Um, So when when people use the, it's a publicly traded company now, uh, or something along those lines, to justify... Uh, bad or just status quo creative, um, I don't think that's a good point. And uh, I do think that, uh, on the other hand, WWE having such a wide margin in terms of brand ID and in terms of revenue above any other wrestling company for such a long time, uh, even even as that huge margin begins to be somewhat threatened uh, in recent years by AEW, um, it does reduce some of the urgency that might've once pushed Vince to make better creative decisions. But the, but the problem probably comes before the, the root problem probably comes before any of that. Uh, now in, in 2021, I think, uh, Vince, Vince's creative efficacy is gone. Um, obviously WB still has a sufficient critical mass of, of viewers, consumers that sustain the media rights value, uh, that they have and sustain it enough that it's probably going to grow in the future. Um, but the notion that it's within Vincent fans' capacity to uh, improve the creative at this point uh, is, is ridiculous to me. The last 20 years have been a long demonstration in how Vince has been progressively and today, finally utterly unable to deliver a compelling product to anything but the diminished captive fan base while leaving probably millions of people semi-engaged or entirely checked out. Um, So even if, let's say, AEW was a comparable force in terms of business or in terms of popularity to WWE, and therefore the urgency with Vince was restored because he felt threatened, I, I think Vince would still fail to rise to the creative challenge because at this moment in time, his creative instincts have either dulled or become obsolete and useless. You know, those creative instincts were strong enough in the late 90s to uh, be able to cultivate Steve Austin and The Rock into huge stars that led to enormous financial success and enormous growth in consumer metrics, ticket sales, merchandise sales, television ratings. Uh, I don't think at this moment in time, in this culture, that he's capable of doing that, even if pressed with enormous urgency. I think this is one of those things that seems kind of obvious to me or implied in, in, in the things that I discuss, but maybe is not as, as clear. So, there's that. <clears throat> and finally, as we come up to the top of the hour, uh, some thoughts about independent wrestling. As I have, uh, coming up on one year since I've last stepped in a ring, in fact, um coming up on one year since the pandemic shut down sporting events throughout the U.S. And thinking about what what kind of indie wrestling world is there going to be for uh, fans and myself to come back to uh, whenever things return to normal. Um, And as we see a number of of independent wrestlers getting signed to WWE or AEW or other companies... um, I think the indies that we once knew, uh, whatever I mean by that, the indies that we once knew are gone and they're not coming back, uh, anytime soon, if ever. Uh, What do I mean by that? The previous identity of the indies, I think relied on major companies overlooking and underappreciating talent that was on the indies, um, or just on on, overlooking under, under underappreciating talent in general, um, Major companies have finally recalibrated. Uh, in my view, major companies finally more appropriately value talent, uh, value skill, and maybe social media has had something to do with raising the profile of the marketability of, of, of wrestlers who gain momentum and gain a following on the indies. Um, but there's clearly... Uh, Been a competition with the rise of of not just AEW, but before that with the the rise of Ring of Honor, of New Japan, um, Impact Wrestling signing people as well. Um, There's been an increase in competition in the the last few years uh, for talent. Uh, The previous identity of the indies relied on the undervaluation of that talent from the people who were in charge of various... uh, talent relations departments uh, throughout the wrestling world. Um, Once independent talent shows a certain amount of potential in this environment, they will be signed. or At least least they will be given offers to to be signed. Uh, There will be few, I think, and we're talking about um, when things are back to normal. There will be few, if any of these renaissance runs uh, on the indies, I think AJ Styles is maybe somebody like that. Um, who had a a remarkable renaissance run on the indies as well as in in, in other companies we would not consider indies. But um, there will be few, if any, of those kinds of runs where a given wrestler gets released from a major company and goes on to have this resurgence on the indies. Um, I just don't see those people falling through the cracks to get to the indies for more than a handful of shows. Um, There will be too much demand from other major companies that will keep such a wrestler from having any sustained run on the indies. Um, the threshold of signability, if you will, has been lowered substantially and permanently. Now, uh, a, a cohort of somewhat older indie wrestlers who continue to travel and can't give up the ghost will persist, uh, but these wrestlers will, be, will um, have certain perceived weaknesses in certain areas, personal conduct, Uh, perhaps included, or just their their history of things that that they've done in the past uh, included. Uh, And those things will prohibit them from being picked up by a major company. Um, But there will be still others of considerable talent, a few, um, who will not be lured by the potential of making money in a major company, who might already have good day jobs that they're content with and that they don't want to leave. And even those wrestlers, depending on how good they are, uh, might ultimately get made an offer that they can't turn down that will take them away uh, from the indies and i know uh, there are some fans who follow independent wrestling closely who lament the proliferation of the irony and comedy gimmicks uh, that have become more popular in recent years especially in u.s independent wrestling and i think there are a lot of forces that compel that trend to emerge i think the focus on those kinds of gimmicks instead of meaningful programs and great athletic matches. I think that does limit the super indies economically. Um, But even if super indie promoters decide to implement a different creative strategy that valued the protein of athletic drama over the sugar highs of of irony, uh, I'm not sure still that the indie wrestling identity of, let's say, I don't know, 2017 ever comes back in this post-COVID world. Uh, In a sense... Even the irony gimmicks that maybe have a lower chance of getting signed; uh, those only uh, th- that fact would only encourage uh, the justification of the super Indies to continue rely on those kinds of talents, uh, who they have greater reason to believe will continue to be available and who they can you know, continue to put titles on and build programs around. So, just the, the, the independent wrestling being this scene that. On, on the super indie level, of course, being seen as this this, this scene where a lot of talent uh, is underrated and uh, is underappreciated by the, the higher tiers of, of the pro- professional wrestling industry, and they, they exist down here in this underground environment and produce great stuff. I think that era is over, and I don't see how, in a post-COVID world, it comes back. Um, um, I don't know if that's good or bad for the industry. It's definitely good for wrestlers economically because there'll be more jobs. There will be more competition for the best talent, at least. I don't know if it's good for everyone creatively in terms of their creative satisfaction, but it's good for wrestlers who want to make wrestling their full-time living. There's a greater opportunity to do that now and in the future than at any time in a long, long time. Um, Is that good for fans who want to follow super indie promotions and see a great product? I don't know. But that's how I see things playing out uh, once people are hopefully vaccinated and things can get back to normal. Maybe by late 2021. So that's all I have for this time. Again, you can see the notes to this program. You can see... Get access to the Wrestling Viewership Spreadsheet 2.0 with tens of thousands of data points and dozens of tabs with analysis on the pro-wrestling industry uh, from 2014 to the present. A living document that is updated regularly. You can get access to that patreon.com slash uh, You can get access to the 63-page PDF, the Wrestleonomics Pro Wrestling Industry Report uh, with pages upon pages of graphs, and charts and tables across not just television viewership, but live events, consumer products, Google web search, pay-per-view and streaming, for the promotions that that applies to. Plus, written thoughts, insights, and opinions. You can get that at Payhip. That uh, the, the Payhip link is linked uh, to the pins to the top of the Russellomics Twitter account, or you can just get access to it along with all the other things that you get access to by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics. You can read my written work at WrestleNomics.com. An article went up that was very much based on a a tirade that I had last week on this program uh, called W's Classic Case of Overbranding. That is in written form at WrestleNomics.com right now. That went up this past week. And uh, you can follow WrestleNomics on Twitter. You can follow me at Brandon Thurston, and I'm Brandon Thurston. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.
2: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check.